right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson flying solo today. No Adam Dravetta. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com, will join us in about 35 minutes from right now. We've got Lance Leipold press conference audio to share, Bill Self post-game audio to share, and a lot to talk about with KU basketball after winning last night against Iowa State. Jayhawks 70, Cyclone 61 last night in Ames, and KU continues to do very well on the road. Um we probably need to readjust the conversation of what's going to be the record that wins the Big 12 because ever since Baylor lost those two home games in the same week, they have just been on a roll, and obviously Kansas just the one conference loss right now. Obviously, one of those two teams is going to lose this upcoming Saturday, but uh, we kind of settled on 14-4 and four would get it done in conference, and I kind of thought that 13-5 and five could get you a share and that 14-4 and four would win it outright. That still wouldn't surprise me, but I'm, I'm wondering if maybe 14-4 and four gets a share now with the way that, that they bounce back. But anyway, let's say 14-4, and four, uh, that's the target goal because that's a number you feel like, at the very least, we're getting a share, might be enough to win the conference. And you know what? If, if Baylor happens to go like 15-3 and three or something and we go 14-4, and four, you can't feel too bad about the season you had if you go 14 and 4 in this iteration of the Big 12 and that 14 and 4 depending on how you do in the conference tournament might very well be enough to be a one seed at the very least it'll be enough to be one of the better two seeds in the NCAA tournament so that's that's kind of the target number we're looking at 14 and 4 and right now Kansas is 7 and 1 they've got this game against Baylor on Saturday and then they'll be exactly halfway through Big 12 play well, the recipe to getting there, and this is something that Bill Self has talked about, is go 9-0 and at home, hold serve at home, can you go 5-4 and four on the road? Or in cases where 13-5 and five gets it done, 4-5 and five on the road. So that's kind of the target. And, you know, if you, you lose one at home, you got to get one back on the road, obviously. Well, KU is pacing very, very well now on the road with this latest win at Iowa State. They win at Oklahoma State. In their first road game, they lost to Texas Tech in their second, but then they had those two wins at Oklahoma, at Kansas State on the road, and now Iowa State on the road. They're 4-1 and one in conference play on the road. If you get one more road conference win in Big 12 play and you hold serve at home the rest of the way, there's your 14-4. and four. Now, above that, though, because there's still so many games to play and, um, you know, we can put that stuff on the back burner for now, this is a game that KU won that never really felt in doubt. I mean, you could say that, yeah, Iowa State was, you know, maybe a stop and a score or, or something like that away from taking control of some momentum in the first half at different points or maybe early in the second half. But in the final portion of that game, the final whatever you want to say, six, eight, ten minutes, 
after Joe Yesifu hit that corner three, and I think Fran Fraschilla mentioned this, like that, you wonder if that could be kind of the the momentum dagger. They made it an eight point game. After that, I think maybe six seven minutes left. The game was never really in doubt, and that was the case despite not having Ochag Baji, your best player and a National Player of the Year candidate, despite not having Remy Martin, who, regardless of all of the questions with what's going on there and some struggles with Remy. Clearly, you would rather have him than not have him. And you won that game going away by nine points on the road against a top 25 team, turning the ball over 22 times. You had 16 turnovers at halftime, and you still led by six at the break. So, I mean, you could almost make the argument, like, the Michigan State win for Kansas just continues to look better and better. They just won last night on like a last-second shot against Maryland. They're ranked 13th in the AP poll. And that was a game that Kansas never had an issue with Michigan State, really. I mean, that was Kansas's win that whole second half, right? And they win that game by 13 against a top-15 opponent. Um, so maybe that would be the answer here. And, and, you know, you have some other, like, very impressive performances just putting 102 on on another Power 5 school in Missouri, or, you know, just beating Texas Tech by the nature of beating them, even though you had to get some uh, fortunate plays maybe late and, and hit a big shot from Ocha to tie it. Like, those those obviously would, would perform better in the West Virginia game. Again, if you're just going on pure performance, like, that's better. But if you, if you wrap it all up with how you performed, overcoming odds, on the road, playing a top 25 team, this is one of KU's better performances of the season or maybe more important performances of the season might be another way um, to put it. I don't know that they could survive without Ochai long-term. I mentioned this yesterday, the the Ewing theory, the Patrick Ewing theory, when he went out and the team kind of played better. It doesn't mean they were better. It just, I don't know, maybe certain guys start realizing, hey, I need to step up more. And, and if that can carry over, of maybe the mentality some of those guys had going into last night's game where, hey, we don't have Ochai that we can just lean on to make plays down the stretch. And if that happens when Ochai's back too, man, that's really good for KU. Now, as far as Ochai goes, here is what Bill Self had to say about um, kind of the whole situation there with Ochai on a question that was asked by C.J. Moore. One day was day zero. You know? uh, I don't know, but he, he he was sick like right after the game. I mean, uh, uh I shouldn't say right after the game, but I think it happened that night or whatever. So, so uh, uh, it, it will meet protocol for him to come back as long as he can pass everything else. Well, I mean, first of all, that maybe explains why Ochai had such a tough performance against Kentucky. Also, probably uh, shouldn't have maybe played in the game. Like he said, he, he started feeling sick afterwards. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, you've had that happen before where you go to work and then maybe on the, the end of work or as you're, like, driving home, you start feeling a little weird, and then by the time it's nighttime, you, you're you not feeling great. So maybe he just didn't feel it before the game. But um, that means that with current CDC guidelines, if he's vaccinated, which we already know from the preseason, Bill Self said that every KU player is vaccinated. So Ojak Baji is one of every KU player, um, that it would be five days. And so I'm assuming if he started feeling bad Saturday night, they gave him a COVID test either Saturday night or at the very least on Sunday. I mean, at the very least, it'd be Monday. But either way, 
You go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. There's your five days. You'd be back for Saturday. Uh, Self did mention, though, that, you know, we want to wait and see how he feels. And um, we saw Baylor come off a COVID pause last year, and they didn't look the same right out of it. We saw KU players come out of a COVID pause last year into the NCAA tournament. They didn't look the same right off the bat. So I, I don't know if, you know, how good Ochai will be, how efficient he will be, how many minutes he can play. How conditioned he'll be. Those are all questions. But at the very least, it does sound like, assuming that um, he can have the negative test, that Ochai should be okay to go on Saturday against Baylor. Long term, you know you need Ochai. And and short term as well, because of the fact that the short term, (laughs) as soon as Saturday, is the Baylor game, which is your biggest game of the season to this point. Um, But that was huge in this specific moment, to see those other guys step up for KU to win that game last night at Iowa State. Again, a really good defensive team, top 10 defensive team, top 25, at the very least, fringe top 20 team in the country. And again, winning, going away, despite not having Ochai, not having Remy Martin, despite having the 22 turnovers. Dwan Harris was awesome orchestrating the offense. And I think this is a good time to point out, like everything I that we were having the conversation about with why is Remy not in for Dewan at the end of this game in the Texas Tech game, you know, I tried to mention this a couple times. It's, it's kind of specific to that game. Like, that specific game, I thought Remy was the better matchup. But, you know, there are certain games, certain matchups, and, and last night, a perfect example, where Dewan is your floor general. And Dewan is your guy that you want in that situation. He was fantastic last night. The eight assists um, scored in double figures. If he can get that little... I don't know even know what to call it. It's like a running hook shot, banked in kind of runner off the just outside of the lane. That's similar to what uh was it Xavier Simpson? I want to say is the name of the guy. He was he was the Michigan point guard for a couple of years when they had some really good teams. They went to the title game, lost against Villanova the year that uh the Villanova Kansas game happened and uh the next year I think they got a 3 seed or something and, and lost to Tech in the the Sweet 16, he was their point guard then, and, and that's what he did. He wasn't really a scoring point guard. He was a, a defensive point guard that would initiate your offense, but he had that move. And just having that for Dewan Harris would be so important. Now, having him shoot the basketball, whether it goes in or not, to have teams defend him out there is very important. But at the very least, if you can make that shot, even if teams are playing off of you, hey, at least you can drive into him and then go get that shot, right? So that was important to see uh, from Dewan. David McCormick was fantastic. I don't expect him to go three for three in the mid-range every game. I don't expect him to shoot three mid-range shots every game. Um, but, you know, it it's more about the rebounding and the defense to me with Dave. And the shot, uh, I guess... The shot's falling or not, that's going to really just be dependent night in, night out. And we've seen certain nights where the shots don't fall and then it just impacts everything else. And, you know, for a little bit there in the the first half, it was like, okay, Dave's playing well. And then there was that stretch where he threw the two passes out of bounds. And it was like, oh, no. But then you got good Dave the rest of the way. I, it's always going to be a roller coaster, I, I think, in, the, in that situation. But last night, we were kind of on the highs with it. 14 points, 13 rebounds. He was phenomenal on the glass and that's what KU needs him to be he had one rebound against Kentucky now a big part of that is because hey it's a tougher matchup you're playing Oscar Sheboy you can't expect as good of a game but clearly there is a big enough difference between one rebound and 13 rebounds to say hey maybe this isn't just all 
the other guy. And if you can get that Dave, we just don't know when you're going to get him. And that's kind of the, the frustration there. Um, Jalen Coleman Land started for Ochai last night. He was good in the opening minutes. He hit some big shots, and that was kind of the reminder that, you know, Jalen Coleman-Lands was seemingly brought in to be Ochai Insurance in case he would have stayed in the draft. He would have been a guy you could have brought in and, and hit threes for you. It's probably Ochai and Jalen Coleman-Lands who are your two best three-point shooters. And he was hitting those shots early. I thought that the, uh, the whatever, I don't know if it was a wrist or a hand injury, it probably impacted the rest of his game between not only whether you're thinking about it or not, but also like it kind of derailed the momentum that he had established uh, in the early period. And then Jalen Wilson was, was I don't know, he had he had kind of a rough first half. He did have four assists in the first half, so like he, he was making certain plays. He had a ton of turnovers. I don't think he scored in the first half. He might have had two points. Second half, he was phenomenal. And I said this at halftime, like KU needs Jalen Wilson to step up. Ochak Baji's out, like, He's one of the guys who can kind of initiate the offense and, and go get points. Wasn't happening in the first half. Now, you were still winning. Second half, he really picked it up. He filled up the stat sheet, ended up in double-figure scoring. Um, he was really good. But maybe the most important, not necessarily in that he had a bigger role than any of those guys, or not necessarily that he played better than Jalen Wilson or David McCormick or Dewan Harris or whoever, but more important because we haven't seen it yet, and more important because when it happens, the way he plays and the, the things he does, the attributes that he possesses are clearly things that can change this KU's team's ceiling and, heck, maybe even their floor, is Joe Yesifu. He stepped up big time last night. I think he played 18, 19 minutes in the second half, played 23 minutes for the game, and he still has yet to... I, I said this in the West Virginia game because the West Virginia game was another example of, I think, Joe Yesifu doing some things well. Now, that game, it was a little more off-kiltered where maybe there were some more turnovers and and the shots were falling even less than this game, and this game was probably just better overall. But in that game, too, there were some small things he did that you wondered, okay, maybe is this the start of something for Yesifu, but he's still not making shots. Uh, that was a little bit the case against Iowa State. He did make some, though. He, he made, as I mentioned, that big corner three. He went two of seven shooting, though. So he's still not seeing the shot fall down like it was at Drake. But he showed it a little bit more than normal with those two makes. And I think there were two big makes as well. If he can start getting the shot to fall as well, it'll be really interesting. And, you know, he did a lot elsewhere um, to boot. He played, I thought, really good defense. He gave you extra ball pressure. He had, I think, three steals in the game. And that's something that KU has not been able to really get much of. So far in Big 12 play, like they, they're last in, in conference play in forcing turnovers and forcing steals. Joe Yesifu clearly helps you with that. Um, we saw in the Kentucky game, and that was a big frustration for people. You know, you have the USC game last year. You get blown out. Afterwards, you hear the remarks about wanting to get more athletic. So you go out in the offseason, you get Joe Yesifu, who in theory should make you more athletic. He's a fast, quick, vertical guard who can change kind of your your dynamism as a team and um I think last night that helped to that right and then he also helped you by having another ball handler on the floor um he helped you by you know your turnovers went down from 16 in the first half you had six in the second half I don't know how many of those were with Remy on the floor maybe four or five 
or not with Remy, with Joe Yesvu on the floor in the second half, four or five. So he helped you in a lot of different ways that are that are some of these teams' biggest issues, I guess. Um, whether it is the defense, which we know is is one of their biggest problems, whether it is the ball handling, which this team has, has struggled against uh, kind of some of these really good defenses in Iowa State is as good as they come in, as far as forcing turnovers. He helps you settle that down. He helps you with the athleticism. Self's quote in the post game, and um, we're going to share the self post presser coming up later in the show. He, he kind of mentioned maybe that he's been playing the wrong guys. And I think that hits home for a lot of KU fans, especially with the whole Remy Martin saga. But I think guys like this, because everybody you brought in to change your athleticism isn't really playing, right? Like KJ Adams, but it's just tough to find the fifth for him on this team sometimes. If he's not playing small ball five, can't really play him in other positions because he can't shoot or, or score offensively. Uh, Joe Yesvu hasn't been able to carve out a role. Bobby Pettiford, unable to carve out a role. Remy Martin, not as big of a role as, as we would have thought before the season started. I really do wonder if KU over-recruited, like having too many good players. This was a conversation in the offseason, and I wonder if that's come to fruition here because it's it's almost, I wonder, made it too difficult for a guy like Bill Self who does like to limit his rotation down. And this is a little unorthodox with having this many good players. I mean, we've had comments throughout the year about, like there was another point in time where Bill Self kind of pondered the idea of maybe I should have played some of the freshman bigs more in the non-con and that would have got us more prepared for now. It's unfortunate, but if this is the realization of that and, and you start getting some of these other guys that can change your ceiling, like a Joe Yesifu, it's good, I guess, that it's coming now and, and not on March 7th, although you would have liked it even earlier. But again, if you're talking KU's biggest deficiencies, you're talking defense, athleticism, and ball handling. And Joe Yasufu is never going to be a guy who's going to be giving you 30 minutes a game. And hell, when Remy's back, I don't even know how this is going to work. I mean, I... Uh, I don't even know if Joe Yesifu can afford like it, it just becomes really hard trying to figure out the minutes when Remy Martin comes back. Unless Remy's gonna only give you twenty and Dewan's gonna only give you twenty five and Jalen's gonna go down from he's basically playing like thirty five minutes a game over the last handful. Is he gonna go down to like thirty, thirty two? Is Christian gonna go down from like thirty five to like thirty two? Like you're you're gonna have to shave off minutes for some of those perimeter guys to find room for Bobby Pettiford or, or not Bobby Pettiford for Joe Yesifu. Maybe you should, though. Maybe you should, but that's another conversation. Nonetheless, he, he's never going to be a 30-minute-per-game guy, and when Remy's back, it may not even be more than 5 to 10. Let's say 10 to 15 minutes. But even in those 10 to 15, 10 to 20, whatever you want to say, he can clearly help you by impacting all three of those deficiencies, the defense, the athleticism, the ball handling. If what we saw last night was a Yesifu breakout, that is a huge development for KU. You know, it's it's even bigger than, like, when Jalen Coleman-Lands had the 20-plus points against George Mason, or if Jalen Coleman-Lands had, had another breakout game, it doesn't necessarily mean more playing time. It doesn't necessarily change KU's ceiling. It's just that Jalen Coleman-Lands fits a certain role making shots, and he had a good game in that regard. It's not, like, when K.J. Adams, he started the first Tech game 
um, or the first Iowa State game. And then we saw him in the Texas Tech game most recently on, on Big Monday last week. And you wonder if the way K.J. Adams played and, and finished out the game, is that a breakout game for K.J. Adams? But it might be in terms of him sticking in the rotation a little more, but it's not in terms of all of a sudden he's going to have a way different role because Dave is still going to start for this team and did the next game. And so there's, you know, really only a, a I don't know, a 10-minute max that K.J. Adams might be able to play to this year. With Yesifu, it's different than those because KU has a void at his specific spot with those specific deficiencies, not just for the whole season, but at the very least for this next week or two weeks or however long it is that Remy Martin's out. I mean, Bill Self said on Jayhawk Game Day Live, just not far enough along that he can push off and be close to 100%, so we're going to sit him out for a bit. Hopefully it's a bit short, but it could be a week. It could be two. So I, I don't know. Um, bone bruises, I didn't think they were a huge deal. Did some research last night. Apparently they can last one to two months. You know, So I don't know how long he's going to be out. But whether he is back or if he's not, whether it's Joe Yesfu filling into a bigger role or even if Remy comes back and he's filling a smaller role. Like I said, 10 to 15 minutes, which even that's not guaranteed. Playing like that last night is such a difference maker to what KU is and what they can become. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Jesse Newell joins the show in about 15 minutes. Hey, guys, special podcast message here. Derek, hi. Hi, future everybody listening to the show. Um, the Jesse Newell interview that we did earlier today, we had some technical issues at the station with the computer itself. Live, sounded great. Hope you joined us for it live. Um, but we had some issues with the computer. I had kind of a, a restart, reboot, malfunction issue. You know, we don't need to go too far into the weeds. But basically, um, the audio might sound a little bit more difficult than usual. We apologize for that in advance. But anyway, here is the Jesse Newell audio recovered as best we could from earlier today. You're listening to RCST. I am Derek Johnson. Joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com, KU beating Iowa State last night. It, it feels weird to say that a player who, when Ochai is back, might only play, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes at, at most, um, could have a giant impact on, on KU's ceiling and filling some of their biggest deficiencies. But is that the case with Joe Yesifu, Jesse, or like... Is him playing like he did last night the difference in this team's ceiling? Or I guess how um, impactful is what he did last night toward moving ahead? Well, I think it gives KU options. And I know Bill Self, it sounds like he's been hesitant to play Yesifu as sort of a point guard on his own. He kind of wants either DeWan Harris or Remy Martin in there with him. But at least for that game, you know, Yes, who served as another pressure release. He served as a guy who helped them break pressure and be able to bring the ball off the court and take some of the load off of DeWan Harris. So, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a good question. It's, it's probably directly tied to what you think about Remy Martin and how quickly he's going to be back, how much he can be integrated back into the team, the offense, the play calls, everything like that, and whether this knee thing is really going to heal or not. Um, so, I, it, him, him and Remy seem like 
they kind of are uh, one and the other, as you mentioned. Like one influences the other's playing time because it's really hard to play three tiny guards together. It's, it's already sometimes difficult to play two, and we know Dewan Harris most likely is going to continue to play a lot of minutes for Kansas, and the Bill Self preference is to play yes to alongside a guy like that. So I guess it, it remains to be seen. Uh, I, it's, it's tricky, right? I mean, we know that Remy provides a lot for Kansas when he's out there, that he can be dynamic in transition, he can play make off the bounce, he can make tough shots, all those sorts of things. But, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a part of Kansas and Bill Self and the coaching staff that sort of wishes they could confidently go in a direction and – just know that that would be the way that they have to play the rest of this year. And if you knew Remy wasn't coming back, you could kind of put a little bit more behind Joe and, and move in that, you know, in that way confidently. But that's that's just not where Kansas is at right now. So we'll see how long Remy sits out. We'll see if he comes back um, and when he comes back, how how hobbled he is and if he's effective. And if, if those things prove to not happen that well, then maybe this Yasufu emergence could be a really big thing. But in the meantime, he's going to get a chance to play his way into the rotation. Uh, that's clear after last night. Bill Self said he's a guy that deserves to play more, and I'm sure we'll see that here over the next few games as Yasufu sort of gets another tryout to be a part of, um, you know, KU's top seven or eight players. Uh, whether that's six or not, I think, again, a lot depends on what happens with Remy. Yeah, I just I just look at what he does and, and what he brings to the team, and you know, if you're talking about some of this team's biggest weaknesses, not being able to, to force turnovers defensively, well, he can help with that. Just defense in general, well, he can help with that. Athleticism and, and ball handling on offense, well, he can help with those things as well. But you're right, it's it's just tough because it is that just the case because Ochai was out and Remy was out. And, you know, it, it almost feels like there's this tug of war between, well, is KU better off playing two lead guards together? Or do they get their five best players on the court? Because when they're playing two lead guards together, you can't get your five best players on the court if you're saying your five best are basically one lead guard and then Jalen, Christian, Ochai, and Dave. So, um, and I know that's just like a conversation of who starts the game or who finishes the game. Like clearly you can have two guard lineups and still have lineups with your best five throughout the course of the game. But if we're just talking like crunch time at the end of the game or the starting roster, I, I just, it, it's really hard to try to figure out where the minutes would come once Ochai and Remy are back. Yeah, and I, I don't know if this is makes people feel better or worse. Um, it, it sort of makes Kansas more matchup proof, if you will, because it gives you different styles you can play depending on opponent. And Bill Self, one of, one of I think his great strengths as a coach is being able to sort of adapt on the fly to what's happening in a game and, and put in a specific lineup or a look or a different defense or a different scheme to be able to, you know, negate something that maybe another team is surprising him with. I mean, just to be frank, what Kansas was doing early in the year that led to them having so much success was they were playing those two little point guards. Now, there's certain teams that can expose that. There's certain teams that post those guys up. There's certain teams when KU is not turned up defensively that they can kind of pick on Dewan Harris. They can pick on Remy Martin. Uh, they, they picked on you know, Joseph Yesesu at certain times this year. But, again, when KU is playing its absolute best, I, I would probably tell you still a lot of times that has been the two-point guard lineup and Jalen Wilson not in there. And Jalen has played great over the course of last month, and he's obviously emerged as a player that's become much more valuable for Kansas and, and, to be frank, has been probably more consistent lately than Christian Brown has been. But 
uh, that that is sort of what you're looking at. Big picture is um, it, it's probably good for Bill Self to have different styles he can go to based on the matchup, but it's probably bad for him to maybe not know exactly what he can expect on a given night, not know exactly every single day how he's going to be able to play and what's going to be effective. So that's both sides of the sword right there. You know that that's good. And that's bad. Um, that's good for Kansas that maybe in a 40-minute sample NCAA tournament game that Bill Self can play different ways, but it's probably bad that um, it's the old Forrest Gump box of chocolate. You just don't know what you're going to get on any given night, and, and that can't be something that's super settling as a coach uh, like for Bill Self that many times in many years has had a starting lineup and especially a top six or seven where he knew exactly what he was going to get. What do you think is the, the biggest reason for – I guess Joe Yesifu to, to possibly uh, crack into that role. Do you think, like, I, I don't know, is, is there a big coincidence between Dewan Harris maybe having his best game and a lot of time with Joe Yesifu? Is it the turnover thing that we saw so many of them in the first half and then those numbers went down a little bit in the second half? Is it the defense? What do you think is the biggest reason to, uh, I guess, look for that second guard or look for Joe Yesifu to maybe get a chance here? Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, you look at some of the individual numbers for Dewan Harris this year, and he's played better when he has another either Joe or uh, Remy Martin next to him. Uh, that does seem to take some pressure off of him and maybe allows him to be able to play more free, play without the pressure of having to always bring up the court as the single point guard and also eliminate some of uh, KU's overall offensive pressure, which is, you know, if you play him, it's tough to play somebody else who can't score. I, I, we, I, we talk about this almost every week, it seems like, but it's true. I mean, if you play DeJuan Harris, a lot of teams are going to sag off with DeJuan Harris. And so you need four other guys in there that can score. And so if, if Joseph Yesifu is the guy or Remy Martin is the guy, those are two guys you have to really respect. I mean, those, Joseph can hit. He didn't shoot well yesterday, but he can hit a three, and he can drive, and he can get to the lane, and he's athletic, and he can push it in transition. So that's another threat on the court, and I think Remy provides – some of those same things when he's been able to be out there too. So I think that's part of it. And part of it just is overall, uh, from an overall roster construction standpoint, uh, we saw how slow, unathletic, um, not quick twitch that Kansas could be against Kentucky and how ugly that looked on Saturday. Uh, Joseph is not tall, but he is some of those other things. You know, he has quick hands. He was batting the ball off of Iowa State players and off their feet out of bounds. You know, he was getting up underneath guys. He was sprinting down the court and opening up uh, fast break opportunities. He was getting by guys off the drive and creating for others as well. So um, just the ability to be able to, um, you know, I, I, I just, the, just being able to go in there and provide some of those things that Kansas looks like it desperately lacked, uh, you know, against Kentucky and against some of the opponents they're going to play in the NCAA tournament. I think that is a check mark in Joseph Yesterday's favor. Now, again, the fine line, because teams can post him up. If they're going to switch a lot, teams can potentially back him down. And if he doesn't get up into people and they drive by him, he's a guy that you know potentially um, defensively can be a liability. But, again, for a night, I guess I would say you saw how good he can be and, and how his quickness could really help other teams or help Kansas go against other teams. So that's probably the best thing he has going right now. And, as his confidence grows, I think he'll just play better and better because so much earlier on the season looked like he was locked up mentally. He didn't, he couldn't formulate what he was supposed to do on the offensive end, couldn't formulate what he was supposed to do on the defensive end. So if they keep it simple for him, I think he could be a very productive player for Kansas. Yeah, and you're 100% right. I mean, when you're playing a Texas Tech, which is all wings and forwards, like it's, 
it's clearly a different game plan than when you're playing a, a Kansas State or an Iowa State who has, you know, more of two lead guards who can create and everything. Um, I, I, I don't want to overreact to the fact that it's just one game, too, because, you know, there's a very good chance that Joe Yasufu maybe he plays 10, 15 minutes next game, or maybe he just plays five and he struggles in a few minutes and then he gets the hook. I mean, we've seen that story before. But is there an avenue in your head? Because as you think about it, with, with Remy Martin not really being able to to fully establish himself, maybe as much as we would have thought in the preseason, with Bill Self, and, and maybe the reason why being defense or missing out on the little things. When you think of Joe Yesifu, and, and like you said, some of those things he can do with the quick hands and, and ball pressure and so forth, is there any world in your mind that over this next week or two, however long Remy Martin's out, Joe Yesifu plays well enough to not just secure a rotation spot, but to basically be ahead of Remy Martin when he comes back. Yeah, I mean it could happen, and like I said, that's the that's the tricky part about this. I'm sure for Bill Self, which is, you know, Remy has shown flashes of being great and amazing, but uh, if he sits out two weeks and is again further behind with some of the stuff that Bill Self values, and then hasn't been in game action and needs to get his conditioning back. I mean, how much can you trust that guy? How, how much how much can you believe that you're going to get the real Remy Martin by the time the NCAA tournament rolls around? I, I don't know that answer. So I, it, it, it just feels, um, yeah, it's a, you know, Joseph, I think if they give him playing time, he will continue to get better and he will continue to grow. And again, he can kind of take that second point guard, second small guard spot and, and maybe start to thrive with Juan Harris. It probably keeps KU's feeling a little bit lower than if they had Remy back. But it would probably raise their floor a little bit. If you just could confidently go in one direction and say, hey, Joe, you have to fool with the guy. You're going to move forward with him. And, um, you know, looking at some of these numbers, I love the numbers of Evan Mia that kind of look at everything. And right now, um, Joseph Yesu ranks eighth among KU's rotation players, but he's, he's eighth by a pretty good margin. So it kind of indicates that, there might be a little bit more there. It indicates that he probably deserves to be in the rotation, but Remy's fourth in that ranking. So uh, you're back at square one again. It's, it's like <laughs> if, if, if you play Joe, he probably deserves to play. He probably deserves time. He probably deserves on a turn. He probably can help his numbers out. But if you play Remy, you're probably the best of what you potentially could be. But are you going to get the best of Remy? Uh, you're going to get early Remy that put up those numbers. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not a coach, and I don't have those answers at this point. I, I think it, it really is just kind of a wait and see on Remy. And in the meantime, yeah, if Joseph Yesabu pulls a, a complete Wally Pip, then K will be happy with that, and then they will be happy that they solidified one of those spots. But in the meantime, you just sort of have to play it by ear and, 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 and one eye looking at how Remy's doing and one eye seeing how Joseph's doing and kind of gauge and go from there. But it, it's not a perfect scenario by any stretch. Yeah, because I don't even think they need both of them to. I mean, if they if they both end up doing great, then that's great. But if I think just one of them hits, that that helps your ceiling. It's just it's it's tough trying to figure out when everybody's back because you know if we take out the five position, just look one through four. Like Ochai's going to play thirty five minutes a night. Christian's going to play I don't know thirty two thirty five minutes a night. Jalen over the last like five games is playing like thirty four minutes a night. Um, and then Dewan's going to give you thirty ish minutes a night. So like. There's not many minutes to go around for you to play. I, I feel like both of those guys with Remy and Joe, I, I, I just think it's very interesting. Um, uh, you did bring up Christian Brown a couple answers ago, though, in 
talking about how maybe Jalen's been a little more consistent than Christian. And through eight Big 12 games, Christian Brown is shooting 39% from the field. He's shooting 30% on threes. Is that something you think he's going to bust out of? And maybe it's just, hey, once shots start falling, it'll just look better? Or is there like a reason there to be maybe a bit concerned about the offense and the efficiency? Well, I, I, you know, a little bit of both. I, I would try to, to go back to the bigger sample whenever you have these questions. But, again, that's a little troubling with Christian because what is the bigger sample here? You know what I mean? Like the guy was shooting 70% on twos for a couple months of the season, but that's not what he did last year. You know what I mean? Uh, and then, what, his freshman year he hit 46% of the threes, but ever since then it's kind of been up and down. So I, I, it's hard to establish a baseline. I will say for Christian, it feels like, Part of his struggles with from two is that earlier in the year he was getting easy opportunities. Again, and a lot of it goes, goes back to Remy. You know, they were running in transition. He was filling the lanes correctly. He was going and getting layups and dunks uncontested. Or he was making cuts and getting to the basket in the half court. And those are really easy opportunities, too. Some of the most efficient attempts you're going to get. So I think part of this is just getting into big 12 play where there's a lot of more, a lot more difficult defenses you're going against. They don't give up those easy buckets. So a little bit of that's natural, but he hasn't finished as well as he did early in the year either. So um, that was a tough one. I, I still think the fact that he's on NBA draft boards now, it's been a first-round pick, you're probably going to you know, shade toward the side of, hey, he'll be fine and he'll be good for Kansas in there. But um, it, it's not bad for Kansas to have this sort of options. And if a guy slumps in a certain game, you can bring him out. If a guy plays well, you can leave him in. And that's sort of where Kansas is at when you're talking about Wilson, Brown, uh, and Yesifu, uh, even Pettifer to an extent, and Harris. You know, that's that's kind of the mix and match that Bill Self has right now. He might not know in a certain game who he's going to play, but he can have pretty good confidence that three out of those five guys are going to be decent enough to play on any given night. Uh, as we look to the uh, five-man carousel, it got shut down last night by David McCormick, so no carousel from the last game. Um, I, I was trying to think, though, like, because I, I know going into Saturday's game, I, I was kind of wondering, is the common theme with Dave playing well when he gets to play against traditional big men? But then Oscar Shibway, who is more of a traditional big man, just bullied him. And maybe that's that's a bad one. You should take away, like, that's the outlier because that's the, I don't know, best big man in the country. Um, but have you noticed a common theme in why Dave's playing well or why he's not? Certain matchups that have worked for him, certain matchups that haven't? Or is this just all, I, I guess, like, it's it's like a Chiefs thing where the team that beats the Chiefs is the Chiefs. Is is that the case with David McCormick, or is there something else there? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I I honestly think I think a couple things feed on it. Um, one, David, great kid, love talking to him. I think as much as Bill Self has tried to break him of this, he equates playing well with making shots. And so many big men under Bill Self, Bill Self tried to get them confidence by getting them an easy shot early. And Dave is not perfected after four years. The post in where you throw it over the top, you catch it with two hands, and then you either lay it in or dunk it and get an easy two points. So often he catches it at eight or ten feet and has to make some crazy move to score his points. But you saw last night, I mean, how good was he feeling about himself when he hit those 18-footers? And all of a sudden he's grabbing rebounds. All of a sudden he's flexing. I just think he's inconsistent because – he doesn't get easy opportunities like big men of KU's past, and his mind making shots is playing well, and he plays with confidence when he makes shots. So that's going to vary game to game when you're not getting easy ones. And when he makes his first couple, it seems like he plays well. 
When he doesn't, it seems like he plays poorly. So um, that's me and my Dr. Phil Oman, I guess. But it's, it's hard to change him at this point, and uh, it's kind of one of those things that we just talked about. It's, it's going to be a game-to-game thing, and that's something that's got to keep Bill self up at night because he just doesn't really know what to expect from this team on a, on a game-to-game basis because of some of the pieces that they have. So what you're saying is they need to, instead of doing the, the post-pinup to start the game for Dave, they need to do a pick-and-pop with Dave and let him shoot a mid-range shot at the beginning of every game. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, that that doesn't go in all the time either. You know, he shot one of those against K-State that nearly cost him the game, too, where uh, Bill Self nearly, um, you know, fell over on the sidelines. So I, I don't know the answer. I, I mean, again, I think if Bill Self could pay someone to find the answer, then, then he would pay a lot of money. But that's just sort of the nature of this Kansas team right now is uh, you don't know what you're going to get uh, on any given night. And it's got to be infuriating as a coach, but that's that's sort of how they play at this moment. All right, kiss, Mary kill for this week. Villanova, Purdue, Arizona. Those are three good ones. It's hard to kill any of them. I guess I will kill Purdue. Um, you know, you got to be a little bit balanced, and they just aren't. You know, they're really good offensively, bad defensively. So tough for those teams to make up enough ground at the end to win a title. I guess I'll marry Villanova. They're the team that kind of always um, – Tries to buck the theory. They've lost a bunch of games, but the efficiency numbers love them. They've been drubbing some teams. So I'm going to be higher on them than most for the rest of the season. Uh, leaves me kissing Arizona. I mean, I love, love what they've done with their new head coach, uh, the assistant from Gonzaga, Tommy Lloyd, and they've been impressive all season. So um, I'll kiss them thinking that they can keep this current streak up and make some run, make a run in March, but it leaves me marrying Villanova because I'm going to be higher on them for the rest of the season. All right, here's Jesse Newell. Check out all his work in the Kansas City Star and at KansasCity.com. Jesse, thank you for the time, man. All right, appreciate it. I guess some news leaked last night. I think this was during the KU game. Washington, the formerly known as Washington football team, it seems that they are going to be the Washington commanders. People were, like, using, I don't know, binoculars, drones, whatever, to get, like, an inside look at, from the stadium walls, and yeah, it looks like they're going to be the commanders, um, which, honestly, I kind of liked the Washington football team a little bit more. It was starting to grow on me. It was unique. It was different. If they would have chosen, like, a cool mascot name, you know, whatever. Commanders, eh, kind of lame, personally. I don't know. But, hey, I guess they have a team name now. We didn't get a chance to talk about these yesterday. It was a short show. We were out early for coverage of the uh, KU Iowa State game. But Brian Flores is um, suing the NFL. Uh, he has a class action lawsuit. And basically it, it goes into the idea that um, black coaches aren't getting hired and that um, some of this stuff is, is just a ruse and that he's not getting a fair shake at things. One of the pieces of evidence that he used was talking about Eric Bieniemy that he doesn't have a head coaching job yet. And another piece that he used was text messages from Bill Belichick. So Bill Belichick texts, sounds like you have landed. Congrats. And Brian Flores responds, did you hear something I didn't hear? Question mark. Bill Belichick, Giants, question mark. This, this was the biggest shock of it all, that Bill Belichick is a big punctuation guy. Question mark, exclamation, question, exclamation, question, exclamation. After saying Giants, Brian Flores was on his way to interviewing with the Giants. So Brian Flores responds, I interview on Thursday. Responds again, 
I think I have a shot at it. Bill Belichick responds, got it. I hear from Buffalo and New York Giants that you're their guy. Hope it works out for you if you want it to. Brian Flores responds, that's definitely what I want. I hope you're right, coach. Thank you. Follows up to that. Coach, are you talking to Brian Flores or Brian Dable? Just making sure. Then time passes. Bill Belichick responds later. Sorry, I bleeped this up. I double-checked and misread the text. I think they are naming Dable. I'm sorry about that, Bill Belichick. (laughs) So Bill Belichick thought he was texting Brian Dable, but instead was texting Brian Flores. I, I think we've all made that mistake where maybe you text somebody who has the same name, but at some point you realize it. Like, it might be the first text you text them wrong, or you might text the wrong, like, group chat or something. How often does it happen that you continue a whole conversation without noticing? Because eventually you're going to notice, like, hey, when I go to the contact list or when I'm in the messages portion that shows everybody messages, it says, I'm pretty sure, the full first or last name because this is on an iPhone. It was all blue text. Yeah, it does. When you're in the individual text, it shows, like, the two initials. So you would see BF as opposed to BD for Dable or Flores. That was wild to me. Um, I've seen some good conspiracies about this. And, and as far as the Brian Flores thing goes, I guess he has some merits that there probably should be more black coaches in the NFL. Um, I do think that the idea that, you know, basically this came down to the Giants were already knew Brian Dable was going to be the guy. They were offering a job or basically they knew they were going to offer to him. Per the Rooney rule, they have to interview a black head coach, and so they're basically just interviewing Brian, Brian Flores to accommodate that rule, even though they already know that he has no shot at the job. And he also mentioned, like, the Denver Broncos in 2019. They showed up to his interview, like John Oway and other executives. You could tell they were hungover after a night of drinking, according to this report in the uh, filing. Um, I don't know where to totally sit on that, because on, on one hand, you know, it's the Giants' prerogative, like, trying to win games, they're trying to do the best they can to hire whoever they think is best. And so, would it, I, I get it, the timing does matter and that sucks. Like, I, I'd feel terrible if I interviewed for a job and, and I'd be pretty PO'd as well if I interviewed for a job full well knowing they were already hiring somebody else. I'd be like, why did you even interview me? And that's fair. Um, but also, it's their prerogative if Brian Dable was the guy they wanted. Like, they have to accommodate this rule. So, I get it, and it is unfortunate, and I would love to live in a perfect world where, and and this is how it should go, where the Giants say, hey, we're going to interview all these people, and we're going to interview the person for the Rooney role and keep an open mind, and then we'll make our decision, as opposed to, hey, we're just going to hire Brian Dable no matter what. Now let's interview everyone, right? That's not how it should work, but again, I guess that's kind of their prerogative. Then again, that's not how the rules are supposed to be working, and clearly Brian Flores unable to get another job, and uh, the the offer from the Miami Dolphins owner, according to this report, that he would he would give him a hundred thousand dollars to lose individual games. I I don't know how they're going to be able to prove that unless there's like written proof, which I doubt there is. I mean, this guy's a billionaire owner. I doubt he was dumb enough to put it in writing. I'm, I'm sure he did tell it to him. They're probably not going to be able to prove it. But if they do, like he's not going to be an owner for much longer I will say this it's going to be fun every time the Dolphins lose from now on we're going to be able to be like oh looks like uh, whoever their head coach is made $100,000 but nonetheless 
Well, with the Brian Flores thing, yes. Like, you see Eric Bieniemy. there are certain guys that maybe are being slighted, and, and there's probably should be more um, guys in, in front offices or upper management who are black, and, and that would maybe lead to a bigger trickle-down effect to have more head coaching guys. But this specific, you know, thing with the Giants, again, I, I guess it kind of is their prerogative with Brian Dable. It's just kind of a, a weird situation of clearly there should be more black head coaches, but also you need to get the best candidate. And it's not like, like, you know, it's one thing if the Giants did this with Joe Judge, who was the special teams coordinator or whatever, Brian Dable is a really good offensive coordinator with Buffalo. So in this individual circumstance, I get it, but we've had so many other bad coaching hires that those you could point to and say, really, you don't want Brian Flores or, or you don't want Eric Bieniemy or whoever. And that is where I think some of the wrongdoing comes in. But uh, back to the Bill Belichick thing with with the text messages. Like I said, it is hard to completely miss not just one text, but a whole conversation without realizing it's the wrong person. Unless he's somebody that just puts the first name in to the contact, which, which maybe he is. That almost feels like a conspiracy. I saw this floated around, the idea that this is Bill Belichick getting back at the NFL for the whole Deflategate scandal, that he knows the NFL could be in a world of hurt if you were to do something like this. So once he heard that Brian Dable could be the guy with the Giants, he's like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity, you know? Or, uh, like, if he also, the team that beat him twice in the Super Bowl in the New York Giants, he's like, screw you guys, you know? I, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to leak this out, basically, or I'm going to screw you guys over here. That would just be kind of a, a funny uh, situation. But I don't know if any of that stuff's true. But certainly uh, tough for Brian Flores because he's a really good head coach. And um, I'm kind of assuming that he's never going to get a head coaching job again, right? You're kind of blackballing yourself for trying to make a bigger impact in a bigger way that you can kind of impact the cause and change things but again with you know leaking stuff out of maybe information that's private like I don't know if another ownership group or front office is going to say hey we can trust you because um, how do we know that you're not documenting all this stuff that we're talking about and we're going to be in a, a lawsuit down the road so you know good on Brian Flores basically most likely giving up his coaching profession to do this and uh, I guess we'll see what comes of it. Patrick Mahomes had a very tough second half for the Chiefs in that game in the AFC Championship. He had a 98 QBR in the first half of play, which is essentially perfect. It's out of 100. Second half, not so much. Second half, his total QBR was 1.4, second half in overtime. 1.4. How much of this, I wonder, goes to blame with with Andy Reid, with the play calling versus just Patrick Mahomes playing poorly. I think both guys are, are probably at fault. I don't think this is just, you know, one thing. You, you know, it's always a team sport and everything. They were so non-aggressive on first downs when theoretically, like analytically, it would show you the most efficient time to pass is on first down. And... They basically were running the ball every time on first down, which we talked about this the other day. 
if you were saying, hey, we're just going to run it down their throat in this second half because we have the lead and because they're playing these these three-man uh, defensive fronts or they're playing you know, only a six-man box or, or something like that where numbers are in our favor, then great. Run the ball and keep running it down their throat. But as we mentioned yesterday, they had seven carries for 35 yards in second half in overtime, seven for 35 on first down and 10. That's an average of five yards a carry. So they were having success running the football on first downs, but then they started passing it when it was second and five and then third and five, right? Either be committed one way, run the ball, continue to run the ball, because they only had three carries on second and third down combined the entire second half in overtime, and it went for 24 yards, so they were successful. Either be aggressive running the ball or be more aggressive on first down passing ball. You have to pick one of the two. You can't have your cake and eat it too there. And so I think that hurt that you lose that efficiency on first down. And then it probably hurt that, you know, you have these backed off defenses playing against Patrick Mahomes to make it harder to pass the ball. And Patrick Mahomes also did have a tough second half. It's going to be hard to get out of the mind the third down and goal where you have Travis Kelsey on the in route, in route where could have been a touchdown. Then as you scramble a little longer, you have Byron Pringle cutting back at the front of the end zone. And neither of those were thrown. It ends up being a sack and, and a fumble, and you almost don't even get the attempt to kick the field goal to tie the game and send it to overtime. It's just tough because with Andy Reid, I saw a stat earlier today that was like Andy Reid um, record when going up 18 or more in the playoffs. He's 6-3 and three with the Chiefs, which that's pretty incredible. And this is over the last 15 seasons. So this isn't just the Chiefs. This is with the Eagles then as well. Andy Reid is 6-3 and three when he has an 18-point lead or more in the playoffs, which 6-3 and three sounds like a good record, but when you think of games, you're up by 18 or more. That should be 9-0. and oh. Okay, maybe it's 8-1 and because one, one weird thing happened. That should not be 6-3. and three. And here's the proof. 18-point leads in the playoffs the last 15 seasons for all other coaches, and this call comes from Paul uh, Hembekides on Twitter. All other coaches are 58-2. and two. So it's happened 69 times over the, the last 15 years that a team has gotten an 18-point lead or more in the playoffs. There have been five losses. Andy Reid has accounted for three of those. And that's a problem. The 28-point comeback by the Colts. The 18-point comeback by the Titans. The 18-point comeback by the Bengals. It's just... It's this turtling up, but then it's the game on Sunday. It was this mix of of turtling up and not turtling up in the wrong time. It was just like so opposite of the Chiefs offense. The Chiefs offense runs on this, hey, we're going to pass more on first down because it can be more efficient there, and then we're going to run it when the, when the opportunities are open. And as the progression of the season went on of taking what the defense gave you, there were times where the Chiefs said, hey, we'll run it four straight times. And we'll, we'll throw a couple screen passes. We'll have a 10-play drive where, of the 10 plays, five or six are runs, two are screen passes, one of them is another short pass, and maybe one is an intermediate pass. They did not do that all in the second half against the Bengals. They could not get, stay committed to that, and it was just a, a loss of identity, a loss of what you're trying to doing. 
and and I don't know if there's there's something there with with all those, you know, bad loss leads for Andy Reid if it's just bad luck. But I, I I can't help but think that the game management stuff isn't a driving force, and that time management stuff, which hasn't been a strength of Andy Reid, hasn't affected those as well. Because when you have close games against good teams, it matters even more. And so on Sunday, it was so disappointing because it was something we hadn't seen before. Patrick Mahomes fail you and Andy Reid fail you in the same game. Both are at fault. Both messed up. You just hope that this doesn't turn into something where it's, you know, that was kind of the end of the Chiefs' opportunity at at winning these Super Bowls, and now you're going to see them start to lose in the divisional round, and we're going to look back the same way we looked at Aaron Rodgers and said, how have they only won one Super Bowl? Or how did they only win two Super Bowls with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers combined? Or how did Drew Brees only make one Super Bowl? It happens to a lot of really, really good quarterbacks. And the Chiefs are now at a point where they can either let that loss fuel them and they can say, hey, we're going to let this turn into we need to rebuild and and change some things. We still have Patrick Mahomes and we're going to come out like gangbusters next year. Or this is going to turn into the downward slope. We haven't really seen that before from Patrick Mahomes. We have seen a little of that with the turtling up and so forth with Andy Reid. So the Patrick Mahomes thing is almost more worrying because with Andy Reid, like I said, we've seen it before. They've been able to overcome it at times. It's problematic. It's not great. With Patrick Mahomes, we hadn't seen that before. And that, I think, is very frightening headed into this offseason. Though if it does just end up as a blip on the radar, again, Tom Brady... He lost playoff games, too. He lost a 21-3 lead to the Colts. He lost a playoff game to Mark Sanchez. So if it's just a blip on the radar, Chiefs win another Super Bowl, you know, we won't be mentioning this nearly as much. But That was a very big missed opportunity on Sunday, and it was just very disappointing, very, I don't know, frightening for the future of the Chiefs that you hadn't really seen that be the recipe for why they lose, that your quarterback has a 1.4 total QBR in the second half in overtime. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. Depend on it. Apologies in advance if you didn't catch our live edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We shared for you Lance Leipold speaking with the media earlier today, and he had a lot of uh, good insight into the K football signing class and the transfers being brought in and basically the whole shebang there. Figured I'd do at least a podcast exclusive for thank you to all you podcast listeners and give a little KU football talk here. I'll make mention real quick as well. Uh, there were comments, Lonnie Phelps, as you would imagine, coming in to be an experienced guy. Obviously, KU was transitioning from a 3-4 to a 4-3 last year and having a guy who is used to playing that specific role and is a veteran and has sacks. Uh, that's basically what Lance Lightbolt said, which is his importance there. Craig Young is... is one of the transfers I'm most excited about. He's he's an athletic linebacker who can almost be like a safety out there, which is really helpful because he's a linebacker who can work in coverage on third downs. And Lance Leipold talked about how athletic he is and about how this year is really just can he put it all together for this team. Um, here is Lance Leipold from earlier today as we share maybe some of the, uh, I guess, most prominent quotes of the day talking about this transfer class as a whole. Some athleticism at the linebacker spot, you know, uh, you know, we, again, as we looked at ourselves late in the year, we, 
we we needed to add there. I mentioned about our special teams. I think most importantly, um, competition. You're going to hear me say that a lot. I think you'll hear me use the words alignment and competition probably almost to the point you'll be tired of it here till maybe next August is, is because those are things that became very apparent to us is being aligned and, and making sure that we have enough um, um, competition in our program that guys are going to go out each and every day to reach their fullest potential, not necessarily inherit a job by someone else moving on. And um, by doing that, I, I think our, our team will get better. The individual will become better. It'll be, and uh, I think those are the things that some of these young men are going to give us. Uh, Kalen Gervin's going to help us at, at corner that way. We talked a little bit about the, about the running backs and linebackers. Um, you know, we're excited about Nolan Gorsica from Omaha. They transferred from Buffalo. He was one that we we're really excited about when he when he when he committed to Buffalo. I think he's a young man that you know probably would add a lot more attention if it wasn't a COVID year. And uh, when he was desired to get closer to home, that was one that we wanted to really get to. Um, but those are the things I, I think right now, I, I think the way we finish the year and, and right now through Matt Gildersleeve in the weight room, talking about how the guys have blended in, um, things are off to a very positive start. That was Lance Leipold there. Now, he also went more in depth talking about the running backs, which I think might be the headline part of this transfer class because you're bringing on two of them. And obviously, Kai Thomas is a big name because he's local. He's, he's from Topeka and he had a really good season in Minnesota. Savion Wheeler could be a really good player um, as well for KU. And we've heard Michael Swain say maybe he could play a little bit in the slot as well, that he could be a, a versatile weapon. And we also talked about on this show a good amount about, you know, do you have to worry about, like, what does Devin Neal think about um, bringing on these guys who could take away carries from him? Well, Devin Neal was was a big help, uh, according to Leipold, in recruiting Kai Thomas to the team. So that's interesting. And, and he talks about in here, like, we want to be a program who develops competition. So if you're afraid of that, this is the wrong place to be. Here is Lance Leipold speaking about those uh, running backs added. It really adds to the to the room and the quality of the room. And again, that's Andy and the rest of the offensive staff's uh, um, ability and uh, responsibility to, to now utilize some of these guys to the best of their abilities. Um, we've always been an offensive team that philosophically is – um, we're going to utilize as many as many of our talented players as many ways as possible. If that means there's two backs in the game at the same time, or if there's two or three tight ends, or or four four wide receivers. Um, we want to be as multiple as possible. Um, again, um, you know, Savion was the first one that jumped in, and then when 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 Kai Thomas, obviously uh, uh, somebody, you know, right down the road, Topeka, the year that he had. A lot of other things that he adds, but more importantly, his his ability and talent level um, to bring into the room um, was, was something uh, we were very excited about. And uh, and Devin Neal led the way in that and in, in helping helping in the recruitment of Kai Thomas, which, again, says a lot about Devin and what he understands is needed for us to to be able to. Um, you know, to be the team we want to be, you know, Devin didn't uh, get to play the last game of the year due to injury. Uh, we want to make sure that we have healthy backs and uh, the durability and workload will also be a consideration as we, as we go through with any of our players. Um, you know, one thing, especially at that position, I want to add is um, 
you know, yeah, you have to remember that, uh, you know, our starting running back left the program after uh, in the first month of the season. And then shortly after, um, you know, the, the season had ended and we went through some things, um, Amari Pixon, uh, uh, Hickson decided to leave the uh, program as well. So sometimes when guys leave the program, you're not just going to always replace with freshmen, especially when you're the youngest power five football team in the country and, and, and one of the youngest teams overall. We, you know, we're extremely young. Um, I like where our talent level is at, but at the same time, as we saw ourselves kind of go through, uh, you know, midway, you know, from whether it be through Iowa State or Oklahoma State or one of those programs that were, you know, senior laden, a lot of super seniors, all those things, you start seeing where our youth and overall physical development isn't completely where, it, where it's going to be someday. And we have to address that. And we have to also address the fact that we want to be a program that's going to embrace competition, not just on Saturdays, but daily within our program. Uh, the last thing that I, I wanted to share with you of note of those pressers, since uh, I'm not just going to put the whole 25 minutes of Lance Leipold audio in the, the best of RCST podcast here. Um, a lot of super seniors that had the opportunity to come back for KU this year, couple of them transferring away. Sounds like Colin Grunard will not be taking on that extra year, which could be a, a big loss for KU as a guy who could have been a starter this year, at the very least a rotational offensive lineman. Uh, so that's kind of a big loss for KU. But here is Lance Leipold talking about those super seniors who could be coming back and uh, not listed in this answer. Malcolm Lee will be coming back for KU. So that really helps you, giving you another veteran defensive lineman. Right now, we're sitting about nine seniors, eight seniors. I, I guess if I would, is might as well, since that type of question is asked, the only one that's really decided not to play that, that has had eligibility at this time, really, um, well, you, you saw Miles Kendrick went into the portal. So let me, let me address that. That was something that was discussed. Even he didn't know if he was going to play again, to going through things. That was, there was great dialogue, um, with us and, and, and very open discussions on both sides. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate him. And, you know, he's hoping to get himself in a position where he's healthy enough to, to go compete for a job. Miles Fallon had decided also at quarterback to, uh, to, to move on as well. He's going to be finishing up school. Jamal Horn was a, was a receiver that went into the portal. He is graduating and moving on. Um, so there's some, since we've started, Colin Grunhardt has decided not, not to continue to play, you know, through the injury and coming back and he had a, you know, he had a setback through his rehab of that. And, um, you know, he came back for about the first week and, and uh, handled it like a pro and like the, the mature young man that he is. And uh, just uh, has decided just to finish up his academics and his master's degree. And uh, we, we truly appreciate everything he gave our program. All right, that was Lance Leipold, at least some of what he had to say since we couldn't share you the full press conference. Uh, but hope you enjoyed this podcast exclusive. That's going to do it for the best of RCST podcast. Have a good one. Hope you enjoy. Tell your friends about it. Subscribe. Give us a five-star review. And uh, stick around for tomorrow's episode. Later.